Good morning, everybody. We like to wake you up with the movie movie soundtrack. And it's honestly, I think I'm going to keep that past at the movies because it just gets everyone so quiet. It's great. It's going to, we might keep that year round. We'll get rid of the, I think it might be the popcorn too. We'll keep that as well year round. Who's in favor? Right. You can bring your own next week. I, I encourage you bring your own popcorn next week. Make it as <laughs> relatable as possible. I already got a piece of popcorn stuck in my mouth. So maybe by Christmas, I'll have worked it back out of that tooth. And so uh, go ahead and enjoy that. I told you guys, these are not props. We have been... Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, I will drink some water. I appreciate it. If you ever have a church, have your mother on the front row. All right, everybody? That's just a piece of wisdom for you. Man, it is good to be with you guys, though, as we finish out our At The Movie series. I am a little sad. I like this month so much, but we've got so much planned in December. It's going to be incredible. And we haven't quite finished with the series. We still have this morning, right, everybody? So you know the drill. Go ahead and get out your soft drink. Let's go ahead and open them all together. Come on, we like that sound. If you haven't opened it already, go ahead and click that top. Come on, listen to that. It's a chorus. We'll make that an instrument. Come on, somebody. You can wait till the first clip if you'd like to do that as well. Uh, A couple of things for you, some housekeeping things before we get started today. First one, if you are able to stay afterwards and help us tear down, like Kirby said, we will reward you with pizza, eternal pizza. You can have as much as you'd like. Otherwise, if you're not able to come today, we would ask you tomorrow, we're going to be setting up the Christmas decorations and we need help with that as well. Uh, You don't need to lift things. If you're just able to help us decorate, uh, put some bows and things, buy you lunch then as well. If you have tomorrow free, we would love to see you there. I know we can use all the help we can get. So come on out tomorrow at 1030 if you're available. And then the last piece of housekeeping has to do with a certain little game that ended last night. Come on, somebody. I know a lot of you have given up. A lot of you didn't watch. You just wait for my recaps every week, but you missed it. All right. We... Let no one say that we had a losing season. Right? That left with DiNardo. We had a 6-6 six and six season with the most glorious ending you could imagine. And about five minutes afterwards, I realized I miss Coach O. I miss him already. Come on. Somebody, I just I miss him now. When we start winning again, I might not miss him as much, but it's going to be incredible. And so he's not coaching the bowl game, so I have no update for you there. All right, everybody. But that's just, just a little something for you. All I can say... All I can say is we finally found a quarterback for about 25 minutes, and so the season wasn't a complete loss. But you guys know the drill. Let's go ahead and get started as we end up at the movies, our final pieces of movie trivia, all right? And so the first one is actually a piece of trivia. I have a question for you, and we'll throw that picture up there. What is the first movie that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan starred in together? Anybody know the very first movie they starred in together? You can, all these hands raise it. Shout it out. Let's hear this thing. There we go. Church versus the volcano. Well done. Everybody thinks you got male sleepless in Seattle. No, it is this classic. Come on, throw that second picture of Joe versus the volcano. It made billions and billions of dollars. Right. All of you know this movie. This movie has a special place in my family's heart. And so we added that one. All right. Second piece of trivia. Shout out the movie. If you know it, where is it? Saving Private Ryan. Come on, all right? You guys know. We're not doing that movie this morning, so no, you know, those of you who are, like, grabbing your children and running for the exits, that's not the movie for today. But Saving Private Ryan, what you may not know, is all of the members of the cast, at least of this core crew, were put through boot camp in order to prepare for this movie. All of them except for Matt Damon and his character. 
in order, the director said, to build resentment and hatred by the rest of the crew for him before they filmed. Come on, somebody. That's good directing. So he got to skip boot camp while all the rest of them went through hell on earth. So that's just a fun little piece for you. All right, third piece of trivia. I know you guys are loving this already. Shout out the movie. Forrest Gump. Come on, you guys are good at this. Here we go. Anybody remember, this is, this is Forrest Gump. And we have the bench out there in the foyer. What you may not know is the actual real-life bench was there for a little bit. They actually had to remove it because people kept taking little pieces of it as souvenirs. And so they actually had to remove. So I just want to say ours has lasted four weeks. So I thank all of you for that. Uh, take pictures, not things. All right, people, you understand that about, about those. All right, last piece of trivia for our At The Movies 2021. Shout out the movie if you know it. Ben-Hur, there we go. All right, this is Ben-Hur, Charlton Heston. Anybody seen Ben-Hur, all 85 hours of it? Anybody, you see this one? Actually, the initial role, which you might not know, was offered to Robert Redford. Come on, somebody. This was offered to him, who turned it down, and I quote, saying he did not have the legs for a miniskirt. Come on, somebody. <laughs> How many of you could be that honest? Anybody could be? Come on. How many of you had a good Thanksgiving and you just ate all of it? How many ate all the... You didn't... No miniskirt for you. Here we go. All right. We've done drama week one with Pursuit of Happiness. We did theological documentary week two with Nacho Libre. I can't even say it with a straight face, right? I can't. Week three, we did our family epic with Tangled. And I thought we'd end with historical drama called The Darkest Hour. We are in the preliminary stage of one of the greatest battles. You have an enormous task ahead of you. Winston lacks judgment. He's a bully. We may have to replace him. All our forces are in Dunkirk. The Germans are pushing us into the sea. You have the full weight of the world on your shoulders. Are you not afraid? Most terribly. I speak to you for the first time as Prime Minister in a solemn hour for the life of our country. You ask, what is our policy? I say it is to wage war by sea, land and air with all our might. We shall never surrender! Welcome again, everybody. You can feel it, right? The tension, tension building. We normally don't edit and use trailers as clips, but I wanted to get you in the 1940s mindset as quickly as possible. I wanted you on edge and tense. Because today we're looking at one man who faced down Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime when they threatened to overtake Western Europe. We're going to look at his life, but I want to do it in a different way this morning because as we visually see Churchill's courage and fight, I want at the same time to look at a very similar story that unfolds in the Old Testament. I want you to see the similarities in these two stories. It's about a leader named Hezekiah who finds himself in an almost identical situation to Winston Churchill, defending a people who are under threat of destruction and invasion, complete annihilation. And the question then for both of these men, and the question for you, is how do you summon moral courage to lead in a time of terror? How do you summon moral courage to lead people, to lead your family, to lead yourself in a time of terror? We're in May 1940, in the days leading up to World War II, and Hitler has invaded Poland in 1939, destroyed any resistance. 
And the German army, the Third Reich, is conquering every nation in its path like dominoes. And you might have heard this phrase or this word, this lightning war, Blitzkrieg. Because every nation in its path from Norway, Denmark, Holland, Luxembourg, Belgium, all of them fall like dominoes. But then comes France. And military experts at the time expected France, maybe they can hold out, maybe they can hold their own for at least a little bit longer. But the French army is humiliated in just 40 days and Hitler sets his eyes on Britain. And to make matters worse, nearly 400,000 British and French troops are trapped at the little coastal town of Dunkirk on the beach. And the Hitlers, the Nazi tanks are closing in and they have them surrounded And the Nazi Air Force is strafing and bombing the beach. It's powerful events in world history. And it's at this darkest hour when the fate of the free world hangs in the balance that Winston Churchill steps onto the world stage. That he steps in as prime minister of Britain. But not everybody believed that he was the man for the job. Not everybody believed. In fact, as he meets with the French leader and begins to lay out his plans, there are few who think Winston Churchill can even stand up straight. We have uh, survived crises before, and I am I'm confident we will survive this one. Uh, tell me how you, you plan to counterattack. There is no plan. Well, <laughs> well you must counterattack. Well, you, 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 you must. What um, uh, I do not believe that this, this uh, panzer breakthrough is a real invasion. Not a real invasion? No. As long as their tank crews are not supported by infantry units, they are merely little flags stuck on a map. Because the tank crews cannot support themselves. No. I, I refuse to see in this spectacular raid of the German tank a real invasion. Il délire. Il délire complètement. Ces Anglais. He's an actor in love with the sound of his own voice. I love to listen to him. But we must never take his advice. His record is a litany of catastrophe. Gallipoli, 25,000 dead, the India policy, the Russian civil war, the gold standard, the abdication, and now this Norway adventure. What's that? 1,800 men. One aircraft carrier, two cruisers, seven destroyers, and a submarine. Winston lacks judgment. He was right about Hitler. Well, even a stopped clock is right twice a day. My opinion, at this critical juncture for the Empire, we have a drunkard at the wheel. Wakes with a scotch, bottle of champagne for lunch, another one at dinner, brandy and port until the wee hours. I wouldn't let him borrow my bicycle. My bicycle. Rousing cries of support, right? He has the support. This is May 1940, and people are in a panic because they know they're next on the list for invasion. They know the Nazis are about to hit their shores, which, believe it or not, is a very similar situation that faced the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. You pick up the story in Second Kings. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king over the Jewish people. 
Bible says he reigned for 29 years. And we see what Hezekiah, the king, was known for. Watch this in 2 Kings. It says he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what he becomes known for. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There's no one like Hezekiah among all the kings of Judah before or after him. He held fast to the Lord, did not stop following, kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And so Hezekiah trusted the God of Israel. He trusted in the word of the Lord. And because of that, verse 7 says simply, the Lord was with him. Back to verse 7, it says the Lord was with him. That in everything he did, when he went out, when he came in, that the Lord was with him. How many of you know that? That no matter where you go in life, it doesn't matter where you go in life as long as the Lord goes with you. As long as the Lord is with you, it doesn't matter what situation or wherever you find yourself as long as God is with you. So you may be facing a battle today. You may be in a time of terror today. You might be under attack, under siege today. Your family may be under siege. Your job situation may be under attack. There may be a lawsuit against you. You may have troubles in your life, a battle that you're facing. But if I would encourage you, it does not matter what situation you find yourself in as long as the Lord is with you. And the Bible says the Lord was with Hezekiah. That he was with Hezekiah when the odds seemed overwhelming. God, Hezekiah had the favor of God on his life. And trust me, he needed it. As we read this story, you'll see, because at this moment in history, God's people are under enemy attack. Verse 13 says, in the 14th year of his reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria comes against Israel. Attacks the fortified cities of Judah. And what is what? He captures them. And let me just explain the Assyrian king Sennacherib just a little bit to you. These are the Nazis of the ancient world. These are brutal, bloodthirsty barbarians. And so they come against the kingdom of Judah. They come up all the way to the gates of Jerusalem. And they capture their fortified cities. And they attack because Israel sits at the crossroads of the trade routes of the ancient east. And so they come up to attack and to take them and actually make them pay tribute because of the crossroads that they sit at. And so the Assyrians are on their doorsteps. People are panicking. Alarm bells are going off because the Assyrians are known for their bloodthirsty ways. They make sport of murder. And the atrocities that are written to their name, I actually wrote a few of them down and I decided I couldn't read them on a Sunday morning. The atrocities are horrendous. The things they would do to the cities that they conquered. And they would pile the bodies up in order to warn anyone in the future who wouldn't surrender. And so the news of this is coming to the, to the Jewish people. The news of this, that the Assyrians are on the doorstep, that this alarm that they're attacking. And Hezekiah gets word, the Assyrians are going to invade and destroy your nation unless you pay tribute. And verse 17 says, the king of Assyria sends, he sends his second in command. His supreme commander, his chief officer, his field commander with a large army to King Hezekiah at Judah to tell him, look, you're surrounded. You're outgunned like it's over. We're at you. Look out your window. We are at the gates. We've arrived. We're here and face certain destruction unless you surrender, which brings us back to May of 1940. Nazis had conquered nation after nation in Europe, and now they're churning their way through France with Britain in their crosshairs. They're making their way and they hear this, this idea that they're on the doorstep and even Churchill's own generals of the British Army are ready to accept defeat. Belgium and Holland may fall at any hour. And the French? The entire French 9th Army, some 200,000 men, have capitulated. All of them. Capitulated. Deserted. It was a rout. All our land forces, roughly 300,000 men, are now in full retreat. Air cover for our troops. The Luftwaffe control the skies. We simply don't have enough planes to challenge them. In fact, I strongly recommend we stop sending our precious fighter planes to be wasted in France. Save them for our own defense. Oh, no, 
Navy, it's idle, neutralised, useless. Our fleets no sooner come within their range than we come under blistering air attack. Their speed is devastating. Panzer tanks moving rapidly westward through the centre. Well, they will have to pause with fuel supplies. This is not the last war, sir. Their tanks can stop for fuel at a petrol station. Petrol station? The road to Paris now lies open. Seven million refugees are on the move. Collectively, we are looking at the collapse of Western Europe in the next few days. Should the public be told? Not yet. First, we must rouse our old friends to an heroic resistance. France must be saved. Prime Minister, Prime Minister, the situation in France, uh, is it true we're in full retreat? Is France lost? <laughs> All right, everybody, hold up your fist. Everybody hold up. First finger, pointer finger, second finger, the V. Winston Churchill was famous for the V. V for what? For victory. This was his public persona. Uh, while inside everything was falling apart, while inside the British government knew the situation was dire, was bleak, was desperate, Winston's public persona was, we will never give up. We will always have victory. We will succeed. The V for victory. Even though the situation was desperate, so too for Hezekiah. And that war delegation shows up in Jerusalem amidst and saying, surrender or else. What was the or else? The total annihilation of the Jewish people. That sounds familiar to anybody. History may not repeat, but man, it has echoes. And Hezekiah in his public persona would go on the wall and tell them that we have victory, that we have success. But behind the scenes, things are desperate. Things are bleak. There's desperation in the way that they act. And even though Hezekiah won't bend at first, the field commander says to them, you tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king of Assyria says. And watch this in the next verse. He says to him, the king says, oh, what are you basing this confidence of yours on? On what are you basing your trust on? On what are you considering as your trust? You say you have strategy and military strength. You have all these things, but you speak only words. You think you have victory, but I have the army and I'm on your doorstep. You think you have the victory. He says, on whom are you, are you depending that you rebel against me? Is, is it your allies? Are you reading? Basically, he says, are, are you depending on Egypt? Because I, I killed all of them. Are you depending on your allies and armies? Because I've conquered all of them. They're weak. They can't help you. And the king goes on to say, not even can your God help you. Because I conquered all the gods of all these other lands. How much more I'm going to conquer yours? He says, my army is here. You can see them. I'm at the gates. On what are you depending on? What are you basing this trust? See, you have to understand the attack begins with enemy intimidation. And the same is true in our own lives as Christians. The attack begins with intimidation. Those of you who are followers of Christ, you know this. That when the enemy wants to attack you, the first thing he does is start chirping at you. Start chirping and saying, well, what are you basing your trust? What are you putting your belief in? What are you, what are you trusting on? What that, that situation that you're under, what, what are you, why are you thinking that your God could help you with that? that? That diagnosis that you got, God doesn't care about that. Your God can't help you. That's too much for him. 
That situation at work, right? You're just on your own with that. That's just, you don't have to deal with that. that. That situation with that relationship, it's just too hard. You need to cave in. You need to give in. You're, you're weak in that area. What are you basing your trust on? It begins to chirp. Anyone who's a follower of Jesus knows this what the enemy of the soul does. Begins to try to wear on your thoughts. Begins to try to speak lies and intimidate and bully and speak negativity. Attacks the thoughts of Christ's followers in order to try to weaken them. This is what the king does to Hezekiah. What ally are you basing on? What God do you put your trust in? He tries to keep them from pressing forward. And so too with us, when the enemy attacks, he tries to keep us from pressing forward in faith. Tries to make us give up on our faith in God and rely on our faith in ourselves. And try to go it alone. In Hezekiah's case, the enemy actually launches an all-out propaganda war against him. After he speaks, he begins to cry out in Hebrew. Verse 28 says, he cries out to the people on the wall. And he says, hear the word of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Watch this in the next verse. He says, don't let him persuade you to trust in the Lord. When he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. He's crying out in their language saying, don't listen to Hezekiah. Don't let him put that public persona. Don't let him tell you to trust in the Lord. Don't listen when he says this. This is what the king of Assyria says. You're surrounded. And here's what he says. Come out and make peace with me. Come out to me. Come and make peace. He tells the Jewish people, hey, can't we all just get along? Can't you come out and we can make some peace? This is Assyria, the bloodthirsty, brutal barbarians of the ancient world. The ones who make sport of murder, who kill everyone in the cities they conquer. Come out and let's have tea. And let's have a treaty, you and I. Your king won't do it, but you come and make peace with me and everybody will live. And he continues on to the next verses to say, and I'll take you away to a land that's full of pleasures and comfort. And I'll give you land and, and olive oil. I'll give you everything that you ever needed. I'll make you as comfortable as you can be. And he ends with this thought. And he says, so that you will live and not die. It sounds nice, right? It sounds great. Why? You can imagine what the people are thinking at this moment. Why give your life for a lost cause anyway? Why, why shouldn't we go out and make peace with the king of Assyria? Why not? Why? I'll tell you why not. Because the last place in the world that you make peace, the last place in the world you enter into treaty, are with brutal, barbaric, demonic terrorists. The last place in the world that you try to make terms of peace because the enemies of God are lying, demonic terrorists. The same way the Nazis were lying, demonic terrorists. And the last time that you try to make peace, the last thing you try to do is make peace with the enemies of God. Says so you make peace with men, you go to war with the enemy, everybody. And so in this moment, Assyria is the terror of the ancient world. And the one thing you don't do in a time of terror is negotiate with the enemies of God. Hezekiah understood this. Churchill understood this. But at this moment in May of 1940, Churchill's own war council wants to negotiate with Hitler. They wanted to figure out how do we surrender to Germany without losing more lives. And that's when Churchill's defiant faith and courageous leadership would shine through. As of 20 hundred hours last night, the Germans have encircled 60 British, Belgian and French divisions. On our part, all our forces under Lord Gort have withdrawn or are trying to withdraw to the French coast, to Dunkirk, where we cannot reach them. How many of our men are trapped? All of them. Our country's entire professional soldiery. And we can see no clear way to rescue them. General, uh, are you telling me that we shall have lost the entire British army by the next few days? That's correct. 
The German force is superior in every regard and only 50 miles from the coast. They are pushing us into the sea. Oh, the Germans must not reach the sea. Not, not before we evacuate our, our men. Nismay, what have you got with us? As it stands, I cannot see we have much hope of getting any of our forces out in time. Not a man. Well, we, well, we cannot be so uh, totally at their mercy. What's our next step? Anyone? Come on, speak! Prime Minister, the question of peace talks. Oh, we must hold on here. Signal only that we intend to fight it out until the end. Uh, peace offer uh, telegraphs our weakness. Agreed. And even if we were beaten, we should be no worse off than we should be if we were now to abandon the struggle. Let us therefore avoid being dragged down the slippery slope with talk of a negotiated peace. Slippery slope. The only I suspect Italy and Germany wish to get us so deeply involved in negotiations that we should be unable to turn back. Nonsense. Bastianini informed me. I propose... The only slippery slope... Would you stop interrupting me while I am interrupting you? When I chose my war cabinet, I took great care to surround myself with old rivals. I may have overdone it. Right on, Halifax. The approach you propose is it's, it's, it's not only, it's futile, but it involves us in a deadly danger. The deadly danger here is this romantic fantasy of fighting to the end. What is the end, if not the destruction of all things? There's nothing heroic in going down fighting if it can be avoided. Nothing even remotely patriotic in death or glory if the odds are firmly on the former. Nothing inglorious in trying to shorten a war that we are clearly losing. Losing! Europe is still... Europe is lost. And before our forces are wiped out completely, now is the time to negotiate in order to obtain the best conditions possible. Hitler will not insist on outrageous terms. He will know his own weaknesses. He will be reasonable. When will the lesson be learned? When will the lesson be learned? How many more dictators must be wooed, appeased, given immense privileges, before we learn? You cannot reason with a tiger! When your head is in its mouth! Prime Minister! You cannot reason with a tiger! I said those words to my wife this weekend to see if it would work, everybody. And <laughs> I'm here to report to you that it does not, all right? She laughed at me and went back to her book, so that's just... <laughs> what did Churchill know? What did Hezekiah know? They knew the truth of God, that it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. It's never the wrong time, even if it means suffering dearly for it, even if it means losing your life, even if it means standing on your principles. See, friends, there's a time for compromise and reason, but it's not when you're dealing with a devil. Understand, Hitler was a devil. Sennacherib was a devil, a type of antichrist intent on wiping out the people of God. And the king of Assyria was a devil. He was threatening the same, openly mocking God. 
openly mocking. And he actually says in verse 27, I'm not going to read all of verse 27. You can read that on your own time. What he says to them is he says, if you don't surrender, you're going to be eating your own blank and drinking your own blank. Bible's interesting. You should read it sometime, everybody. This is the darkest hour. This is the moment of decision for both Churchill and Hezekiah. And maybe this Sunday is the moment of decision for you. Maybe in whatever battle you're facing and they have to make a decision. Will they shrink back and surrender or will they step up to fight the enemy and defend their people? They have to make this decision. Well, I can inspire you today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know what the Bible already says about you. The Bible says that we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. That in whatever battle you're facing, whatever thing you're walking through, whatever steps you're taking, whatever siege you're under, that we don't shrink back and destroy. We have faith in our saved. We have faith in who? In Jesus Christ. And I don't know what battle you're facing today. I don't know what the situation, I don't know how overwhelming the odds seem. But if I can sow just a little bit of faith into your heart to remember the God that lives on the inside of you. That in the midst of the darkest hour, in the midst when you're making a decision of whether to surrender or whether to go forward in faith, to remember that the power of the Almighty God lives on the inside of you. That it's not under your own strength that you overcome, that it's under His. That's under our faith in Him. So don't quit. Listen to me, you never let intimidation overcome conviction. You never let intimidation drive out conviction in your heart. You never let the odds try to drive out faith. Never let the situation try to drown the voice of God in your life. That the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Bible says, lives on the inside of you. That God wants to do above and beyond what you can think or imagine. That when you're in these situations, that you remember the strength that we have as Christ's followers. That even when the odds look bleak, even when it's darkest, that we have faith in Him. As a Christian, you have the Spirit of the living God on the inside. You have the truth of God as your sword. So what does that mean? It doesn't matter how overwhelming the enemy is. It doesn't matter if you feel weak in the moment. It doesn't matter if you feel like it'd be easier to give up. It'd be easier to throw in the towel, to give up your faith, to give in to the odds that He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. If I can just encourage you a little bit to not give up, to not back down, to not give in. The creator is he who is with us. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. That is our promise as Christ followers. That is our promise as Christians. With all the pressure weighing down on him and his cabinet begins to look for ways to possibly negotiate with Germany. Churchill has a moment that he leaves his protective bubble and decides to take the London underground into Westminster. We've lost the Prime Minister. France and Great Britain will at once do their best to meet his wishes. So, this is the underground! Thank you.
Does anyone have a match? Thank you. Thank you. What are you all staring at? Have you never seen a, a Prime Minister ride the underground before? <laughs> please, please, uh, sit, sit, everyone. Thank you, Mr. Baker. So, how are you all? Uh, how are you all bearing up? Uh, good, good spirits. Yes. Uh, just as well. We shall need them. Uh, uh, let me ask you something that's been weighing on my mind. Perhaps you can provide me with an answer. You, uh, the British. People, what is your mood? Is it, uh, is it confidence? Confident? How confident? Very. Some people say it's a lost cause. A uh, lost cause is the only ones worth fighting for. Too right. Yes. Now let me ask you this: If the worst came to pass, and and the enemy were to appear on those those streets above, what would you do? Fight. Fight the fascists. Fight them with anything we can lay our hands on. Broom handles if we must. Street by street. They'll never take Piccadilly. <laughs> never take Piccadilly indeed. <laughs> and what if I put it to you all that we might, if we, uh, if we ask nicely, get very favourable terms from Mr Hitler if we enter into a peace deal with him right now? What would you say to that? Never. 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 Well, you will never give up. No, never. Then out, speak, brave, Horatius. of the gate. To every man upon this earth, death cometh soon or late. And how can man die better than facing fearful odds? For the, For the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods. Are you crying? I <laughs> Yes, yeah. I I blab a lot, you know. We all we all have to get used to it. <laughs> what, what stop is this? It's Westminster, sir. Westminster. It's my stop. Never surrender. But he still has a choice to make, and now we come to it. 
Because Winston Churchill, the same as Hezekiah, have choices to make with their backs against the wall. Where do they turn for help? Second Kings 19, we're told when King Hezekiah hears the words of the king of Assyria, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and went where? Into the temple of the Lord. Hezekiah hears the words that come against him. He sees the army at his gates and he tears his clothes and he runs to the temple of the Lord, which for Hezekiah, he turns into his war room. Because Hezekiah understands that though this battle is physical, though it's in the physical, though this battle is with armies, though all of this is the same, he knows that it's won or lost spiritually. And he has to fight from his knees in prayer. That's a lesson for Christ followers. That even though many of the battles that you will face will be in the physical, even though you think it's all just contained in this one world that we can see and feel and touch, the battle is actually won or lost in the spiritual. That when things are at its darkest, when things are at its bleakest, is when we need to go to our knees in prayer. Hezekiah knew this. Listen to his prayer. The Bible says he began to pray and he prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel. Enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. King Hezekiah cries out, give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your ears, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see the words that Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. He says, an attack on your people, God, is an attack on you. That Sennacherib has come against us, O Lord, but he's attacked us. And in this place of dependence, Hezekiah is pleading, God, listen to the enemy's words. God, look at what is happening to your people. And he cries out to him and he begins to cry out in total dependence. Lord, we are totally at his mercy, but God, your mercy is greater. God, we cry out to you for you to move. God, we cry out for you. And he spreads the letter out. The verse says he spreads out the words that have been sent before the Lord in total dependence. He doesn't know what to do, but he spreads it out before God. And he says, Lord, answer. Lord, save your people. Lord, would you fight on our behalf? And as he spreads it out, this picture of total desperation in a moment of crisis. Can I ask, do you pray like that? I asked myself the same question this weekend preparing for this message. Do I pray like that? In moments of crisis, in moments of desperation, do we go before the Lord and spread it out? Hezekiah on his face before God crying out, Lord, hear what's happening. Lord, see what's happening. Lord, answer and Lord, fight on behalf of your people. It's a lesson to Christ's followers that when we're under attack, when your family is under siege, when those that you love are under attack, is that how you pray? Friends, understand as followers of Jesus in any crisis, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. As followers of Jesus, we run to the presence of God. We run with our prayers to the feet of the Father. We run and we cry out, Lord, open your eyes and see. Hear our prayers, O Lord. Fight on behalf of your people. I don't know what battle you're facing. But when you call on the Lord, you need to spread it out before him in prayer. That it wouldn't be just something we do just as a byproduct. It wouldn't be just something we do just as this this quick thing in the morning. It wouldn't be something we cry out to God in the midst of our crisis, in the darkest hour. Hezekiah knew that. Churchill knew that. This is the part that they won't show you in the movies. And they won't let you know. And I don't know what you're facing today where you might need a victory. But as a child of God, the Lord has made a promise to you. In Isaiah, he says, no weapon formed against you would prosper. That no weapon formed. He didn't say that the weapon wouldn't form everybody. That's not what I'm saying this morning. We're going to fight battles. There's going to be times weapons will form against us. But he says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. That it won't succeed. That the God who fights your battles. And he actually says this to the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to see Isaiah in just a moment. Because he's there with King Hezekiah. 
Because word has gone to him and said, here is the word of King Hezekiah. Look at what has come to our gates. And the prophet Isaiah sends back to him. But I want to finish out Hezekiah's prayer. Verse 19. He says, now, Lord, our deliverer, deliver us from his hand. Now, Lord, our God, as I cry out in desperation, deliver us. And watch this. Why? So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. That all the kingdoms of the earth would know that you are God. This is a Christ-honoring prayer. This is a Christ, followers of Christ, this is the type of prayer that we need to pray. This is the prayer that, oh Lord, that you would be honored in the midst of this victory. This isn't save my tail for my own sake, oh Lord. Just get me out of this because I need it so badly. Oh Lord. This is, oh Lord, you would do something that all the world would look at it and know that it had to be God that gave the victory. That all the world would look at it and know that it had to be God who came through and they would give glory and honor to you. Oh Lord, come through so that all the nations of the earth will know that you alone are God in heaven. That all the nations of the earth would know that you sit on your throne. That you came through for the people that you love. See, in his darkest hour, Hezekiah prayed and so did Churchill and so did the rest of Britain. This is the untold story the movie doesn't tell you. On May 23rd, the churches in Britain called for a national day of prayer. That everyone would pray, mobilize the entire nation to seek Almighty God to save their loved ones at Dunkirk. And even Neville Chamberlain, Churchill, King George shuttered the government, descended on Westminster Abbey to pray. And I want to show you an archived news clip. This isn't from the movie. This is an actual news clip from 1940. The empire responds to the king's call. And at Westminster Abbey, heart of the empire... The statesmen, the soldiers, the ambassadors, and hundreds of ordinary men and women join the mighty congregation. Her Majesty Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands arrives a few moments before their majesties. No one here today could foresee the grave news that has come from Belgium. All the more, it is well for us to show the world that we still believe in divine guidance, in the laws of Christianity. May we find inspiration and faith. Let the world know that we still believe in divine guidance. We still believe in the laws of Christianity and the principles of God's word. It was on May 26, 1940. The entire British nation called off school, shuttered their businesses, closed the government. The entire nation began to cry out to God for their loved ones in Dunkirk to save their nation. Neville Chamberlain wrote, May 26 was the darkest of all. And that was the day of prayer. The darkest day of all. And if I could just give you one thing this morning to take away, that is on the darkest day of all, that should be a day of prayer. That's when you run to the Lord in prayer. You don't wait to see what you can do under your own strength. You don't wait to see how things and circumstances might play out. As people of God, we run to the Lord in prayer. This darkest day, he wrote, was the day of prayer. It actually turned out to be a turning point in the war. Because see, at 7 o'clock that night, Winston Churchill gave the order that any civilian, anyone not in the army in Britain, anyone who owned a boat or a watercraft should set sail to try to save the army that was trapped at Dunkirk. That anybody who would do, these are the bravest you can imagine, that if you owned a boat or you owned a watercraft, he issued an attempt to desperate evacuation of Dunkirk. Every British citizen to get in their little boat and to steam across the channel. To save the army that was trapped. And snatch as many soldiers off the beach as they could before the Germans arrived. Can I just say this is a Hail Mary pass? If this sounds like a bad idea, this is a bad idea. 
This is like when you have no other options and you get the duct tape and the gum and you try to fix it right on your own. This is a plan that couldn't possibly succeed. But the British people, they prayed and then they courageously got in their boats and they sailed across. This is the Cajun Navy of 1940, everybody. They sailed across this channel and they reached the beaches of Dunkirk and allied soldiers scrambled like mad to get onto these little boats as they arrive. And on the first day, May 29th, 47,000 soldiers were rescued on those little boats. And the next day, on May 30th, 53,000 were rescued. May 31st, 68,000 soldiers. June 1st, 64,000 soldiers plucked from the beach. And all over 330,000 soldiers rescued from Dunkirk. Because the British people prayed and then they set sail. And they rescued them off. That's a miracle, everybody, in four days. And the British army officers were shocked at Churchill's plan. They were shocked that it actually worked, that they were able to rescue them. And historians would debate and argue because simultaneous to the evacuations, 24 hours after the day of prayer, Hitler unexpectedly and to the frustration of his generals stopped the advance. 24 hours after the day of prayer, he stopped the advance of the German tanks and the Air Force. He had victory in the palm of his hand. He could wipe them out. But to the frustration of his own army for seven days... He stopped the siege for seven days, stopped the siege and allowed those soldiers and those civilians to get them off the beaches of Dunkirk. Four days. It was a miracle. And historians argue and they say to this day, we don't know why he would stop his advance at that moment. We know why. As followers of Christ, as believers in a God who works miracles, is the same God who split the sea for Moses, the same God who worked a miracle for Hezekiah, who routed the enemies of Joshua, the God who sent to war for his people in the Old Testament. We know the God of miracles. If they would pray, hundreds and thousands of British Christians on their faces pleading for divine intervention. And less than 24 hours later, the army stops. Churchill needed a miracle. Hezekiah needed a miracle. And God answers with a miracle. How did God answer Hezekiah's prayer? Let's look in 2 Kings. Because his officials come to Isaiah and they say, this is what King Hezekiah says. And I love the wording here because when Isaiah sends his response, look how he says it. They said, this is what King says. And he said, tell your master, this is what the Lord says. And I don't care what anybody in your situation in life says about you. I don't care what any person or thing says about your situation. I don't care what any circumstance tries to say about you. All that matters is what the Lord says. All that matters is what God says about you. All that matters. Come on, let's give, give God praise this morning. All that matters is what God says about you. Doesn't matter what somebody else tries to say. Doesn't matter what circumstance tries to put it. All that matters is what God has to say. He says, this is what the Lord says. Watch these words. Do not be afraid. He says, I know what it looks like. I know the army's out there, Hezekiah. I know that you're under siege. I know that it's all, all this. I know the circumstances, but this is what God says. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of the words that have come. Don't be afraid of the army at the gate. Don't be afraid of all these things that you see unfolding in the natural This is what the answer of God is. Watch what he says. Those words which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. God's about to take him to the woodshed, everybody. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I'll make him want to return to his own country. And there I will cut him down with the sword. In other words, Hezekiah, I know what you've seen. I know the circumstances. I know what you think is happening. But God's about to go to war. God's about to go to battle for his people. This is what the Lord says for the sake of my David, my servant. And sure enough, 701 B.C., the king of Assyria stops the attack. He stops the battle. 
What does it look like when God goes to war? What does it look like when God says, I know you think you're surrounded, but I know you need a miracle. Here's how the Lord fights. Watch this. He says he won't enter the city or an arrow here. Won't come with shield or build a siege ramp. And watch this. It says the angel of the Lord went out. The angel of the Lord went out amongst the camp of the Assyrians. And that day slaughtered 185,000 of the camp. Angel of the Lord went in. When God goes to war for his people. Come on, somebody. When God goes to war for his people, it's far beyond anything. Hezekiah thinks we're trapped in this city. There's nothing we can do. And God says, it's my turn. It's my turn to go to war. And the people got up the next morning. It says they saw them. And so Sennacherib saw all the dead and he broke camp and went back to Assyria. It says he ran before the face of God and he went back to his own country. And here's how the story ends for Sennacherib. It says one day when he was praying in his pagan God's temple, that his sons came and killed him in the midst of that. That God slaughtered me, just as he said in his own town. And now I can just tell you a little bit of my own personal story with that. I was telling my sons the story of Hezekiah on Friday. And I got to this part where Sennacherib's own sons kill him in his temple. And my son Eliab said, ching. <laughs> and I thought, I need to do a better job when I explain this story, everybody. I need, I need, some, I need some, some guidelines, some principles here. Enemy was slaughtered by his own sons his own hand that God went to war and God says when God goes to war it's final when he makes the decision on a situation no weapon formed against you will prosper what does it mean to be a leader what does it mean to be a leader with a spine of steel in a time of terror you double down on your faith like Hezekiah like Churchill you run to the Lord in prayer it means you lead your family in prayer it means you get on your knees with your family in prayer it means you teach your children how to pray it means you pray with your team it means you pray for your employees it means you pray for your students who cares what culture says the enemies of God when they come against you it means you go to war in prayer because the power of heaven is unleashed when we pray When we seek the Lord, when we run to his throne room, that's when the power is unleashed. It's not under our own strength. It's not with our own schemes and our own own devices, our own wisdom. It's nothing. It's when we run to the Lord in prayer. It's when we call out, Lord, I can't do it on my own, but I can do it with you. Lord, I want to put this situation in your hands. When we run to the Lord in prayer. It's by prayer the enemy is overcome. That's what faith is. And so in Churchill's climactic speech to Parliament, he invokes the now famous words, never surrender. Urging Britain and its allies to not give in until victory over the Nazis was sure. And I think history today is desperate for leaders with the moral clarity and the moral courage and faith in God to fight their battles. Turning once again to the question of invasion, I would observe that there has never been a period in all these long centuries of which we boast when an absolute guarantee against invasion could have been given to our people. But I have myself full confidence we shall prove ourselves once more able to defend our island home to ride out the storm of war and to outlive the menace of tyranny if necessary for years if necessary alone 
even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have, have fallen or may fall into the, the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of the Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end! We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with, with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender! And if, and if, which I, I, I do not for a moment believe, this island or large part of it were, were, were subjugated and starving, then our empire be on the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet would carry on the struggle yeah. until in God's good time the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old somebody he rallied his nation rallied the world to fight back against the evils of Nazi fascism and over the next five years the world would enter the bloodiest war in human history but they would never surrender till 1945 declared victory for the allies can I ask you again what battle are you facing today what, what situation are you going into what what siege is against your family, against your life. It might be a situation at your job. It might be one in your home. It might be an attack on your health. It might be a diagnosis. It might be a lawsuit. It might be... Some, what, what battle are you facing? What situation are you in? What darkest hour have you found yourself in where you need to run to the Lord in prayer? You need to ask God to fight on your behalf. You need to bring it before the Lord. It might even be just fear and anxiety in the midst of terror, or the midst of crisis. What thing are you facing? When you see the uncertainty of the world that you need God to say, look, I have this all in my sovereign plan. 
that I hold it all, that there's no situation or too dark or overwhelming. There's nothing that can overcome the power of God. And so today, if I can just just give a little bit of comfort, if I can just give you a little bit of courage, it's not in our own strength. It's not in any five-step thing I can give you. I would just let you know that the God who lives on the inside of you, the same God yesterday, today, and forever, that the power of Christ lives inside of you, and that, yes, we fight battles, but the war is already won. The war is already won. You say, well, how can you know that? Because at the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ already confronted the Hitler behind all the Hitlers. And with his blood on the cross and with his resurrection, he already confronted sin, hell, and the grave, and Satan is defeated. That he's already confronted and defeated. That by his indestructible life, Jesus Christ has brought life to us. That he's freed us. That he's already won the war. And so, yes, we fight battles. Yes, weapons form. But they can't prosper because the victory is already assured at the cross of Jesus. The victory is already assured in our lives. We give God glory because of what he's already done. Because the victory is assured that his hand is at work. That it says that he works all things for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. That he's already won the battle at the victory at the battle at the cross of Jesus Christ. He's already won. And the Bible says that now anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, because of his blood, anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. Listen to me, church, the war is already won. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, we see your hand working throughout history. God, we see your divine providence. God, even when things are chaotic, even when things seem to be the darkest moment of all, we know you're working everything together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your plan. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness to Hezekiah. We thank you for the miracles that you've done. But Lord, even today in our church, even today watching online, it's full of people this morning, God, who are in battles. People today who are facing struggles. People, God, who are going through their darkest hour. So I just want to pray today. And I want to ask you a question here at the end. If that's you, if you're in a battle right now or you're in a struggle right now, I want to pray for you. And if that's you, you say, I'm going through something. You don't have to say what it is, but you say, I'm going through a battle. My family's going through a struggle. Right now, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I'm not, I'm not trying to trick you into a salvation prayer if that's what you're saying. If you're going through a battle, I want to pray over you. Right now in this church, if you would just raise up your hand. We're just going to begin to pray. If you look around, those who are raising their hands, let's begin to pray right now. Father, we thank you that you are ever-present help in time of need. Lord, so many battles going on right now. So many battles in our church with our loved ones, with our families, God. So many under siege, so many in their darkest hours. So right now, Lord, I lift them up in prayer. I thank you that you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. That you have promised in the midst of the battle that you would raise up a standard against the enemy. That he wouldn't be able to come in like a flood. Lord, that you would raise up the standard of protection. God, we thank you that victory was already won at the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give wisdom and guidance. I pray that you would give peace in the midst of the situation. God, that you would stand with them. That you would go to war on their behalf, God. Lord, that you would give peace. 
right now in Jesus' name we pray. Before we go today, I want to ask one more question. And there's some of you here today are watching online. And you say, I want to have a relationship with God. I like the way that you talk about him. And I like the way that this church seems to worship him. I like the way that you have a relationship with him. But I have no idea how I could have that. Or maybe you say, I feel like God is too far away. I feel like I've done too much that I've disqualified myself. There's no way that God could want me. It's great that God would want other people, but there's no way he would want me. If that's you today, I want you to know, I don't care what anybody else has ever told you about Jesus. I don't care what anybody else has ever told you about what God thinks about you. I want you to know that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And I want you to know that God wants you. He wants you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I want you to know that God loves you and he wants you. He still wants you. And so today, if you say, I want to have a relationship with him, I want to be saved. You need to know that can happen right now with a prayer of surrender. Giving your life over to him, a prayer of repentance. You say, well, what is repentance? It's turning from your sin and it's turning to God. I said, I'm done with that old life. God, I want a new life with you. It's believing in Jesus Christ. And so if you want to make that decision today, it would be my honor to pray with you. In fact, our whole church, we would love to pray that prayer with you. Not going to embarrass you, not going to make you stand or come to the front. This is about a decision between you and your Savior. But if you say, I want to pray that prayer right now, we're going to pray it with you out loud. Just say these words. Say, Jesus, save me. I repent of all of my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross. And Jesus, I believe you rose again. And right now I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Lord, I pray for those who just made that decision. God, we celebrate with heaven as they celebrate what they just did, the greatest decision of their life, that they've turned from death to life, that they've crossed over, Father. And Lord, I pray for the strength now. Give them the strength to begin to live this life for you. Thank you, Lord, for the new life you've created inside of them, that the old has become new, that death has become alive, Lord, that they've believed at the foot of the cross and that your blood covers over a multitude of sins. We thank you for the life now that they live in you. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise today? Amen and amen. Quickly before you go, if you prayed that prayer today, I would ask you, tell somebody. One person this week, tell them about the decision that you made. Tell them about how you decided to follow Jesus. Tell one person. You can tell one of us, one of the pastors, someone you're sitting next to. Text somebody this week, but tell one person as you live out this life that God has called you to. The rest of you guys are dismissed. If you're able to stay and help us, we'd love that right in the foyer in just about 10 minutes. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday morning. Be blessed.